Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, Enderf.org. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. Now, we had in uh, a listener email recently a request for more accounts of distressing near-death experiences or or at least, you know, some, um, a mix of the not-so-good experiences, uh, just to get a feel for, you know, the, the broader experience that people have and so forth. And I will, I will say up front that there aren't very many of these. You know, some statistics say 20% of near-death experiences have distressing aspects, but usually those... Um, numbers are taking into account, for example, somebody will first go into the void, find themselves in in this comfortable blackness, and then at some point they'll start to fear because they kind of tap into that earthly fear of darkness, and so they start to fear and get anxious inside, and they, you know, kind of get freaked out a little bit, and then they see a light, and then go on to this beautiful experience. And they often count that as a distressing near-death experience because there was a distressing moment in it where there was fear. And while I think that's fair, because, you know, distress is distress, it doesn't exactly represent what we might call a classic hellish experience or something of that sort. But there are such experiences, and I do, I am going to share one today, and understand that, uh, that, you know, this, this is the first one that I came across that, that, um, you know, kind of fit the, the length that I want, you know, some of them will be, will just have a, you know, three sentences, you know, was in this terrible place, and people were shouting at me or something, and then they're back in their body and so forth. And I usually try to get stuff a little bit more extensive than that. And sometimes I'll share several of those in one episode. But uh, and, and then other times they find themselves in this experience and then, you know, call out to God. And then they're instantly out of it or they see a light and the darkness disperses. And, they, and then they have this wonderful, extensive, beautiful near-death experience. And so these kind of negative experiences are in my research, rather rare. And, you know, at the same time, too, we have to keep in mind that if you have this wonderful experience, you're more likely to want to share it than if you had this terrible experience that you don't even like to explain what happened in it because it was so unpleasant. And so it could be that there's more of these than what we get from the positive ones. I don't know. We just have no way of measuring that simply because if people are not willing to share something. It's kind of like it's kind of like the statistical reports that they do out there, you know, where they uh, where schools will, you know, ask students how you know how many times this year would you say you've lied to your parents? And it's the kind of thing that most kids that are willing to lie to their parents are willing to lie on a on a a form like that. So they're not going to want to share that because they don't want to get in trouble. And they're pretty good at avoiding trouble by lying by that point. And so you're just not going to get a fair statistical uh, 
example of, uh, of what you're looking for. But, uh, you know, this, while this is not something that's asking for lies, what it's asking for is if you've had an experience, please share it. And many people just don't want to revisit their experience if it's unpleasant. So there may be more because they don't want to explain it. They don't want to uh, read it because, like many people say, the experiences are genuinely terrifying. And if you've ever seen a really genuinely disturbingly terrifying movie, you don't usually want to remember it. And you and you kind of just like shut it out of your mind and so forth. And and imagine that, but being there and experiencing it and often feeling like there's no way out, which is often what is felt in these kind of experiences. So, you know, I just wanted to give that up front that these are not very common. And I certainly have never met anybody who had a genuinely hellish experience. But um, we're going to share an experience that is unpleasant and... Uh, rather characteristic of these genuinely unpleasant kind of experiences. So um, this is Linda, also from Enderf.org. And Linda says, In 1990, I was rushed to the hospital with severe internal bleeding due to an ectopic pregnancy. At the time, I believed very strongly as an atheist. My mother raised me as a Buddhist, but at 13 years old, I became an atheist. I was born with good looks and felt I had been raised in a fortune cookie. I was extremely arrogant, vain, conceited, and very materialistic. At the hospital, I was screaming in pain. I had been very early, or it had been very early when I had come into the ER about three in the morning. A boy there had broken his arm somehow and was frightened by my screams. An intern of sort tried to stop me from screaming, but to no avail. He was angry with me, and I could tell he was truly upset. I don't know why he ticked me off, but or why it ticked me off, but it did. I said to myself, I'll show him. I'll just leave. Go away in my mind. I knew I could do this because I had done so oftentimes as a child growing up due to molestation. So away I went. I was in such a play, uh, such pain that I was in such pain that I just let go. I could hear everyone in the room. I heard someone say, "We're losing her." I could hear the machine on my heart start to go blee. Then the same voice that had said, "We're losing her," said, "Shoot. She is." And I don't know what happened after that. Next, I was floating over the table where I, where I had been lying. I was quite happy with myself, quite smug, in fact. I sure did scare them, I was proudly thinking, when the doctor started to call aloud again. We're losing her, people! I felt a frightening pull on, I guess I can say, on my soul or spirit. I was being pulled down. I knew it was down for some odd reason, I landed with great ease on or in another dimension, and it was not at all earth-like. I was alone at first, and then I sensed that a presence had joined me, but I was not sure who or what it was. I started to feel afraid. This place was new to me. My mind had never been here before. 
I believe I closed my eyes in hopes that I would be returned to the hospital, but somehow I knew I was not going to be. When my eyes opened again, I was in hell, in a certain chamber of hell. There were horrible smells and such darkness one can only feel. I saw people in chains and people being tortured, and in such horrible ways that I still cannot talk about it. I hated that place and wanted to leave it desperately, but could not. I stayed there watching and smelling and feeling all the pain and horror of that place. Later, there was a voice, just a voice. It was familiar, but I knew I didn't know who he was. He spoke simply and very directly to me. He explained to me that this place that I was in was no longer for people like me. He said that before he was born, everyone that died came to this place. There had been no hope. But since his death, he had done something. I don't recall what he said he had done, but he said that since then, now when people die, they come and wait in a different place, not here. I really didn't understand because I was really afraid. I did not want to be there. The voice then said, Do you love him? And I clearly remember thinking, Why are you asking me this? You already know everything. I got no reply, just silence. At this, I became very annoyed. Then suddenly I was being pulled again, only this time it felt like I was being pulled up. When I stopped, I saw people around me, but not real close, like in the distance. There were people I knew, and people I knew that I also did not know. It was really strange. The feeling was so easy, so nice and easy, tranquil. I was so intensely in my mind at that moment, it's as if I knew everything. Then I looked up, or ahead of me, I'm not sure which, and saw the most beautiful sight I had ever seen. They were, this sounds corny, pearl gates. Huge gates made of pearls. The gates were closed, but as I was looking, they started to open up towards me. Inside, I could see streets paved with gold, with rows of mansions upon more mansions covered with diamonds and glittering green stones. It was brilliant. When my eyes had their fill, the scene went blank, not dark. And the same voice asked me, well, Linda, what do you believe? At that moment, I woke up and took a deep breath in. I opened my eyes to a nurse, and with the most beautiful feelings I have ever had, I smiled at her and told her that there is a God, and he loves you. I have believed in him ever since. I have changed my whole life because of it. Although extremely reclusive because of the sensitivity I now have, I am learning to reconnect. I had not been, 
I had not been able to speak of this until just recently. Being as extremely reclusive as I am has allowed me the time to be in constant study. It's strange that I didn't get any faith out of this experience, but it instilled in me a lot of fear of the Lord. Thank you for reading. And that is the end of Linda's experience. So, let's talk about this a little bit. True to most hellish experiences, and I differentiate that from distressing experiences in the sense that this was something that the person would have identified absolutely and undeniably as hell. So the kind of thing that it's like, this wouldn't even happen on earth. It was so terrible. You know, you, you couldn't find this kind of terror on earth, you might say. And, uh, you know, there aren't many of these, but I'm sharing this, you know, based on, on requests of listeners in order to get a balanced view of, you know, what's on the other side. And while you'll hear some near-death experiencers say, you know, there's no hell, there's no devil, I didn't see anything of the sort, I didn't see any sign of any of it. Well, not seeing something is not evidence that it's not there. And to those who do see it, they're like, <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah, I was there, and it was hell. So, you know, honestly, previous to my studying near-death experiences, I didn't believe in this type of hell. I, I, you know, I believed that there were places of remorse, of, of spiritual pain of sorts, but this goes beyond anything I pictured. And while I'm not one to, you know, just believe anything I hear, there are enough of these accounts that it's clear that there are spirits that genuinely mean us evil, mean us pain, mean us suffering. And that's what these people are experiencing or seeing. Uh, gratefully, this was not one of the people who experienced the torture being uh, inflicted, though I have heard of those who have. So this is not uncharacteristic of the kind of hellish experience that many people have. It's also unique in a lot of ways. But uh, let's, let's talk about some of the individual things. First off, and this is no surprise to most Christians and religious people, but sometimes it's a little bit uh, standoffish, you might say, to those who are agnostic, or, you know, it, it seems to confirm their suspicions toward religious people, which is that Linda says up front she was an, a complete or an extremely arrogant, vain, conceited person and was very materialistic. And, you know, it, it sounds like she's just a very selfish individual. And while I don't associate, I wouldn't say that she's selfish and, and all that stuff because she's an atheist, but it's possible that she's an atheist because she's very materialistic and selfish. It's possible. And I think this is important to point out because often in studying these things, especially if you only study the surface level experiences or, you know, some of the more positive ones and so forth, you may be under the impression that everything's good for everybody when you go to the other side, no matter what you do and so forth. And, and that 
doesn't seem to be the case. In fact, uh, many experience things like this. And in fact, the uh, message that she receives from this voice that she hears is that it used to be that everyone came here who lived the kind of life that you live. And people like you experience this. And they, he says, not anymore. I've prepared another place for them because of what I went through to get you out of here, basically. And it's interesting that this voice does not ever identify itself. Uh, and all she says about it is that I knew I didn't know who he was. It was familiar, but I didn't know who he was. So it was like this was a vaguely familiar voice. I know him from somewhere, but I don't know where from. And he spoke simply and very directly to me, she says. And she says that this place is no longer for people like her. People like who? Well, people who are, who are uh, materialistic and arrogant and vain and conceited and so forth. He says, when, the voice says that before he was born, everyone that died came to this place. There had been no hope. But since his death, he had done something. I don't, she says, I don't recall what he said he had done. But he said that since then, now when people die, they come and wait in a different place, not here. She even says, I really did not understand because I was really afraid. I did not want to be there. And while she doesn't go on to explain later what she believed it to be, and I think she did that on purpose. She's, she's, trying to, she's not trying to give a particular message, but she's just telling her experience. But she does say that, that afterwards she completely changed her life, believed in God, and uh, am trying to reconnect with other people and, and so forth and become the kind of individual that, uh, that God would want her to be. And uh, so in this case, this experience, hellish as it is, served to reclaim her, you might say, and help her to become a more loving individual and one that believed in God. And while, again, it seems that many of these experience, experiences seem to communicate this idea that it doesn't really matter what we do in life, that we're going to this place of love and joy and so forth. <coughs> Excuse me. And they, you know, by looking at it on the surface, there may be reason to think that, reason to suspect that. But what I see here is that that's not exactly the case. That this torture and that this hellish place is no longer a place where everyone or all evil people will go. It's, it's been, you know, this payment has been paid for. And I hope I'm not stepping too far out on a limb to suggest that I think this voice was the voice of Jesus Christ. Everything that I hear and read and study about Jesus Christ suggests that because he came to earth and because he suffered what he did and because he was resurrected and, and, and everything, because of what he did, now we are not doomed 
there is an escape from the doom that he or that that was going to be our inevitable outcome if we've lived the kind of life to deserve it and he has made a way out and from what this sounds like he's made a new place for them a new type of of place where they can learn and grow and become the best people they can be even with the life choices that they've made so that's that's my thoughts and i have no reason to doubt them i think they're i think that's exactly what the message of near-death experiences seems to be that uh, that god lives that jesus christ is the savior of the world in quite a literal sense and that there is life and joy and love to come so if you would like to financially support the podcast you can do so by either purchasing the book life in the spirit world or by going to patreon.com slash ndecast and becoming an ongoing monthly contributor you can also contact the podcast either to share a comment ask a question or to share your own near-death experience by emailing near-death-experience-podcast at gmail.com or by calling 970-NDE-CAST. And once again, thank you all of you so much for listening.